everyone. Welcome to Knee Deep Podcasts. Today we are interviewing the NFL Nation editor at ESPN.com. He graduated from Northwestern University and is the correspondent for the PGA Tour Champions. His name is Bob McClellan. How are you doing today, Mr. McClellan? I'm doing great, Kaylee, and it's a pleasure to be with you. I appreciate you uh, requesting an interview. Thank you so much for joining us today. Now, um, I know every everyone's life has been pretty drastically affected by COVID-19, but how has COVID-19 affected your work at ESPN? You know, it, it actually, to some extent, hasn't that much. Fortunately, you know, being a part of the NFL team, the, the season had long been over before the pandemic broke out in the United States. And really, no event since has been has been canceled. Now, some have been dramatically affected. The NFL draft became a virtual NFL draft for the first time. It was in Nashville, I believe, last year, and there were more than 250,000 people who gathered in town, downtown Nashville for the draft. This year it was supposed to be in Las Vegas, so they couldn't have it in Las Vegas. They had to do it virtually, and it was different for all of the coaches and general managers involved as well, but there still was a draft. So the net result of that for ESPN was unprecedented viewership on television as well as numbers of page views on the website because it was really the first mega event of any kind in sports, uh, you know, since the pandemic broke out. I mean, there, there had been the WNBA draft, but you know, that's not on the same scale as the NFL draft is. So, uh, you know, it, it's understandable, I think, that the viewership, the interest in the NFL draft was kind of through the roof because really it was the first thing that fans of football anyway could look forward to that actually happened. So... Now, mini camps, there's usually rookie mini camps right after the draft, and those were all canceled. Normally, there would be mini camps in May where the whole team gathers at the practice facility in those states or at least close to the to the home areas of the teams, which have been canceled. So it's starting to affect access to players. Some teams are still having some phone interviews with players, but, but our reporters aren't getting as much access as they would have had the entire team been gathered at three or four day mini camps, which are a week long mini camps, which are typically held in May. And probably it'll affect training camps, which normally start in July. Uh, we'll see what happens with that. Everything is kind of a wait and see as far as what's going to happen with getting ready for the season. And will the regular season start on time? So, but to this point, I would say just that it's just been a little bit, a little bit less access to the players than reporters would have normally had. But really, that's been the only huge effect so far as far as NFL coverage is concerned. It's dramatically affected all other sports, obviously, but the timing, at least as far as pro football is concerned, hasn't been as bad as it has been for other sports. That's good to hear. I'm glad the, the timing's really been working in your favor um, over there. Um, and as an editor, um, you are always um, editing people's um, writing and things like that. And what tip would you give to writers to make their writing instantly better as they're editing themselves? Instantly better. Boy, they, they should always read good writers. Uh, now, they may have trouble identifying who good writers are, but but typically it's a really good thing to read the people that you respect, that you know, maybe the, the people who are columnists at places like the Washington Post, the New York Times, or whatever the big city newspaper is near where you are, the people who are in the columnist positions, at least for sports, are typically the best 
writers, maybe even at the whole newspaper. Um, but I'm a little biased towards sports. So it's always good to, to read good writing. It's always good, but difficult to be able to edit yourself when you write something. If you can go back through and read it with a more critical eye, try not to be as close to it as you normally might be because you're the person who wrote it. When I see somebody else's copy, it's easy for me to go through it and go, here's what I like, here's what I don't like. I'm not the person who wrote it. I'm not as married to it as I might be for something I write for PGA Tour champions. It's a little bit harder for me to get away from that and look at it from a different perspective because I'm the one who chose the words for it. But you have to be able to go through and say to yourself, look, maybe this part doesn't belong. Maybe this part makes it too long. I think a a problem a lot of younger writers has is they'll take everything they get in an interview and throw it into a story. Well, probably part of what you ask just to make your subject comfortable, you know, just to get to the point of where you want to go was to ask some questions that maybe weren't pertinent to where you wanted to go with the story. Well, don't include that stuff in the story if it's not part of where you want to go, if it's not part of what you're trying to say. I think it's very difficult for people when they do an interview to be able to say, okay, these are the great parts of this interview. These are the parts of the interview that don't need to be in the story. I got it. I transcribed it. I did a lot of work for it, but it doesn't make sense for what I'm writing right now. Maybe you can use it later on. Maybe you'll never be able to use it, but don't throw it in the story just because you got it. And then one other tip I would say that that almost universally I find writers don't do well is lead into those quotes that they got for a story. The last thing I as a reader want to read and you should do as a writer is say something like, here's what what McClellan said about football not possibly starting on time and how terrible that would be for the country. Quote, that would be terrible for the country, McClellan said. You just told me that. Don't tell me what somebody's going to say prior to giving me the quote. And I see that, I mean... Even great writers frequently make that mistake, so. Yeah. Is there any writers specifically that you think um, upcoming writers should read um, because their writing is just so good? You know, I mean, not necessarily. I mean, probably the people I would mention are people that I grew up with who who maybe aren't writing as much anymore. Um, You know, universally, the guys who wrote for Sports Illustrated 15, 20, 25 years ago were the best writers in the country. I mean, we have some of them obviously at ESPN, uh, who are, who are some of the best writers, uh, in the country, but, but really it's anybody, I mean, if, if, if you like it, there's a reason that you probably like it. There's a reason that you want to see what that person says. It could be an author. Right? It could be, you know, whoever's on top of the New York Times bestseller list. I mean, it might be your John Grisham's or, or, or whomever else. It just depends, but, and you have to be able to identify what you like that those people do too. Is it, is it that they turn a phrase that you never thought of yourself? Is it that they write in such a fashion that you find yourself, you know, grabbing onto the couch cushion while you're reading it? Is it that they make you laugh every time they write? Identify what they do well, what you like about it that keeps you coming back to it. It may not be able, it may not be something you can adapt, but at least it'll get you thinking along the lines of, oh, maybe I should try to turn a phrase here. Oh, oh, this, I should write... You know, everything I see in this person's house could become germane to the story I'm trying to tell about this person. So it's just a matter of, you know, flock toward the things you like and then try to identify what you like about them. 
Yeah, that, that's really good advice. I think, I think any writer would be taking that into account. Um, and so as you follow different teams um, and like the new players that they're getting, like in the NFL draft, um, what advice would you give to high school seniors, college seniors, or anyone trying to make a college team or a pro team? To be friendlier to the media. <laughs> I mean, I you know, you see these people on these journeys, and, and it takes a whole lot of work to reach even even the collegiate level. Um, but to reach the NFL, there just aren't that many spots in the NFL. And, and any any player who gets even a, a chance to play in the NFL has accomplished quite a bit in his career. Those people are, are dedicated to the sport. Um, and they really work hard year round to be able to make it happen. So, um, I, you know, I don't, I don't know that I necessarily have an advice for a professional athlete. I never was one, but I think that I do gen- genuinely believe that 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 many of them want to be combatants with the media, and I don't always think that's the best way to go. I mean, we want to tell good stories about good people, and and we want them to be honest too. I mean, we don't want answers that are canned and coach speak uh and what have you we want them to be honest and to let us in a little bit that's why i've I've always enjoyed i personally unlike many of my colleagues have always enjoyed being part of high school coverage because you can get to the athlete before they're jaded or before they have sports information departments or public relations departments that are telling them what to say and trying to control the narrative and not wanting them to be you know 100 percent honest with reporters you know, when you're still covering somebody in high school, mom will probably have you over for dinner and you can see what posters are on the wall in that room and you can see what video games he likes to play and those kind of things and gain a perspective on a kid that you're rarely going to get to see once that guy reaches the pro level. When a guy reaches the pro level, you walk into the locker room, you're in there for 10 or 15 minutes trying to get every player you need to talk to. But if you meet a guy who's going to go on to become that professional athlete while he's in high school and develop that relationship with him before he becomes the big-time college player and the big-time NFL player or NBA or what have you, then you might be able to get that access later on, for one thing, and you'll be able to tell a better story about these guys when they're in high school than you probably will at the college and pro level unless you get extraordinary access that not many people get. Yeah, that's... That's a that's pretty good advice, I'd say. Um, but who who what teams do you like? I mean, you're you're a expert. So what teams do you root for besides Tampa Bay? Well, I think I think most people root for the teams that they grew up with. Um, like I live in Tennessee now and have for twenty years, and I'm not a fan of the Titans. I mean, I kind of follow the team because they're the team that's here. But I'm not a fan, and people don't understand that. But I'm like, that's not the team I grew up with. I mean, I, I was a Buck season ticket holder when that franchise started in 1976. Well, I, I, my parents were season ticket holders. I got to go to the games. Um, both of my parents were from Pennsylvania. So before the Buccaneers started, I was a Pittsburgh Steelers fan. I was a fan of all the teams from Pittsburgh because both of my parents were from, you know, somewhat near Pittsburgh. So I was a Steelers fan and a Pirates fan, and also I was a Penguins fan because I grew up in Florida, so hockey was kind of foreign to me. But, but it, so I'm still a Steelers fan because that was like the first team that I loved. I'm still a Pirates fan 
even though they've been not very good for a long, long time. But they were the team of, of when I was your age. That's who I first started rooting for was the Steelers and the Pirates. And then the Bucks started. So even though they haven't been very good for a very long time, that's still my favorite team because I went to literally probably more than 100 Tampa Bay Buccaneers games, um, which isn't, you know, always pleasant to say <laughs> because, of, because of how bad they've been. But they did win one Super Bowl, so... Uh, that was a very special time. So I think everybody, you're, you're fans of the teams you grew up with, and even as you move around the country, you may go to the games of a different team. You could become a fan, I guess, but most of the time somebody who's a transplant somewhere, they might follow the team where they are, but they're a fan of the team you know, that, that they were between the ages of 10 and 20 because that's who they grew up with. Yeah, I, yeah, I think everyone always picks their teams based on, you know, their region, people around them who they work for. If you wind up moving to Florida, you're still going to be probably a Redskins Internationals fan, even though you're living in a state where there's lots of other teams. Yeah, yeah. Now, if I were to bump into Serena Williams on the street, or if I had the opportunity to interview her on my podcast, um, what would you want to ask Serena Williams? Well, there's no question that, that she's one of the great athletes of all time and, and, you know, arguably the greatest women's tennis player of all time. Um, I, I think you start with, uh, I, to me, I, I'm fascinated by the relationship that she's had with her with her father. I mean, he's the one who got Venus and Serena uh, started down the road to play tennis. And, and then having a sister, your older sister, who who's first is the breakout star before you become an even bigger star than your sister. It's quite a family dynamic there. I feel like they have always been close. They've probably had a few moments where maybe they were at each other's throats too, but they've played in the finals of majors before. And then, you know, their father was always a pretty tough guy, I think, on them, but but certainly got them to achieve great heights. So I would really be interested in what the, what the family dynamic was and what was happening at the dinner table when they were teenagers and, and that kind of thing. It would, it would really be fascinating to know. Yeah, I think even the family dynamic now with um, Serena's child and having your mom and your aunt be major tennis stars and then are you going to be a tennis star or just, you know, how Serena's child um, progresses because, you know, having an absolutely amazing athlete um, as your mother and possible first tennis coach would be amazing. I mean, both your mother and your aunt having amazing tennis careers would just be amazing and like a hard act to follow. <laughs> but I would, I would think, I would think that child will be capable of probably anything. Yes, yes. Well, thank you so much for joining me today, Mr. McClellan. It's been a pleasure, Kaylee. Thank you. Yes, of course. Thank you for listening to Knee Deep Podcasts. Interviews today for tomorrow. Follow us on Twitter at Knee Deep Podcast.